This episode of the Chuck Williams Show is going to be all about self-awareness. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Welcome to the 51st edition of the Chuck Williams Show, Self-Awareness. I wonder how many people started running when they heard that. Our guest is all about self-awareness. He's a consultant, leadership coach, life coach, uh, Phoenix City native, Kelvin Red. Thanks, Kelvin, for joining me. Thank you, Chuck, for having me. I'm glad to be here. You, uh, you are an interesting guy, and I want to get a little bit into your per- into who you are and sort of why you are what you are. And then we're going to talk about Emergenetics, which is a personality profile that you give to people and teach in both educational and um and uh, business settings, you're now moving into the athletic side. Uh, but tell me a little bit. I mean, you grew up in Phoenix City, but your dad was a well-known coach, right? He was. Um, I, I grew up in Phoenix City. I, uh, I attended Sherwood Elementary School first, and then I went to Westview Elementary School and uh, educated all the way out, all the way up to uh, the Phoenix City Schools. And yes, my father was the head basketball coach, but he was also the school's chemistry and physics teacher. And your, both of your parents were educators. Well, my mom worked in the system, and um, but education was <laughs> it was hammered home in the Red household. There's no doubt. And your dad, uh, James Red, yes. um, was probably one of the best coaches to ever blow a whistle in this part of the in this part of the Chattahoochee Valley. He had great teams, outstanding players. and But he coached over like a 12, 15-year period. It wasn't a long – 15 years, yeah. Describe your dad. Um, he my passed fa- a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, he passed ago. a couple of years ago. My father was extremely intelligent. He was valedictorian of his high school class. He was number two in his college class. Um it's interesting because since he's passed, if there was one question I, I would like to ask him, and, and it would be this, because when it came to math, I mean, he was an expert in math. I would love to have asked him, why didn't you put a, a pencil and a calculator in my hands rather than a book? <laughs> because the older, I mean, I'm a proficient reader because of him. I mean, he loved to read. He introduced my sister and I. We would go to the Bradley Library every summer. We hated every minute of it uh, for the first so many years, but it just became ingrained in who we were. And so he was a uh, he was a disciplinarian. I can count on one hand how many times I got a spanking from him or all he had to do was look at me. Um, but I didn't realize until after he passed, like, wow, I, I spent a lot of time with my father. I mean, just around him. You um, went to all the games, practices. I went to I went to all the games. All, I didn't go to many away games when I was little, but I went I went to all the home games. Um, went to every practice, you know, and back in those days, they would practice on um, Christmas Eve morning, Christmas uh, morning, and uh, I went to all of them, yeah. Who is your favorite basketball player from the central area in which your dad coached? My favorite? Uh, oh, there were so many of them. Um, he would never rate his basketball players. He would never do that. And just the other day, somebody asked me um, who I thought was the best one. I think the best basketball player, and yeah, he probably was my favorite to a degree, um, was uh, Eddie Adams. Eddie, Eddie Adams, um, he played at Alabama. Uh, he tore his knee up severely. I think he was playing in a pickup game in the summer when he was at Alabama. He may have been going his junior year, I'm not sure. may have been his senior year, one of the two. 
but the Philadelphia 76ers were really interested in him. And by the way, if you're in this Columbus area, why isn't he in the, in the Chattanooga Valley Sports Hall of Fame? I think that's – that. don't get me on that soapbox. But Eddie would – I ru- think you're absolutely right. Yeah, Eddie, yeah, Eddie would routinely score 35, 40 points. He scored 57, 50. And I remember one night he had the flu, and people were walking over to the scorer's table after the game. And, and this was a Saturday night against Dothan. i never forget this. And the question was, how many did Eddie score tonight? And it was like, he had 25. Because, oh, he didn't do anything tonight. That I, Seriously, <laughs> people walked away saying that. But, yeah, that he's, he's pound for pound. I think he's the best basketball player to, to come out of post-integration in Phoenix. And he was right on the tip of, of – of that, of of the integration of the Phoenix East Schools. Oh, my father, he was one of the first three black teachers at Central High School. Yep. yep. And Eddie Adams passed away in a car wreck. Yeah, he was in a car accident, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought I remembered. Um, okay, so we're, we have established that you know athletics, that you, <laughs> that you grew up in an athletic household. Yeah. But as somebody who spent a lot of time covering high school athletics in Alabama – and over the years, a lot of coaches were PE teachers or yeah. they were driver's ed teachers. And yeah. I'm not taking anything no, away no, from, PE, yeah. from PE or driver's ed teachers. Your dad was chemistry, physics, yep. and he wasn't just he, – he brought the same intensity he brought to a basketball court into those classrooms. He did. And when you see athletes today that maybe are just athletic but don't really pay attention to the books and, you know, guys that could go anywhere, do you cringe and you think about your dad and what he tried to do in those days? Yeah, not as much as I used to because um, nowadays you hear about high school players who are, you know, all everything five-star athletes when they're sophomores and juniors and they actually get into the school <laughs> yeah you know back in the day I mean, it's like whoa he didn't get in why why is that the case and you would question their a- uh, academics but yeah um academics is extremely important um and and it needs to be one of those things that's uh, just drilled into a uh, a person when they're very very young and it's about habits really you know Study when you're supposed to study, and you play when you're supposed to play. That sounds easy. Well, it, well, that's the way it was in my household. <laughs> <laughs> so, you went when you graduated from Central. You were a band kid, yeah. not, not so much an athlete, right? No, no, no. But I, I, I love sports. I mean, to me, being in the band, you got a free ticket to every football game. <laughs> so I watched it all. Yeah. Okay, now let's go. You went. Where'd you do your undergraduate and graduate? Went to Auburn University, got my master's a little bit later in life from Troy, and I'm currently working on my doctorate. Where are you working on doctorate from? At the University of Cumberland's, a small NAIA school in Wilmington, uh, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. and what will your doctorate be in? Uh, self-awareness and organizational behavior. I got this theory. I want to prove it. All this stuff that I've learned over the years, I want to just like put it on paper and say, here's why I, I decided to do the doctorate, because I thought at some point, I'm going to write my definitive book on leadership, right? It's going to be my definitive book. So why not do it under the supervision of some professors? It'll take me about three years. It's going to take me about three years to write it anyway. So why not do it under the supervision of some people who are really skilled, know what they're talking about, and they can iron out all the technical stuff with me, and uh, I can put in the stories, and then we'll be done. That's that's why I'm doing it. That that makes a lot of – that's practical. Yeah, it's um, 
in leadership, yes. you have seen a lot of different leadership styles. Yes. You, uh, you worked for the Pastoral Institute for a number of years yes. as a Ten. In, as a counselor. Well, there. no, I was the. Uh, uh, I started off as the assistant associate director of the Center for Servant Leadership, and then the director of the Center for Servant Leadership. So, define leadership. Leadership is the skill of influencing people to enthusiastically work toward goals identified as being for the common good. And there are two key words in the definition of leadership. It's uh, skill and influence. And what do we know about a skill? It's learned. And so you've got people in this world who are in positions of leadership. They haven't read one book on leadership. They haven't taken a class on leadership. A lot of it's vicarious learning from previous bosses. They don't understand emotional intelligence. And uh, so we have to hammer that home. And also it's about influence because I believe when we talk about leadership in my, my workshops, we don't talk about titles, right? We're talking about influence. And everybody has influence. There are people in positions of leadership. They don't have the influence that a frontline employee may have. And everybody respects that particular employee but may not uh, respect the manager or the supervisor. Is leadership learned, or is it something that's genetic? See, that, I, we, I get asked that question a lot, and over the years, I think it's a combination of both. I think that there are some qualities that every le leader exhibits. Uh, I also think that when we say learned, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the classroom. It doesn't necessarily have to be a book. So that's kind of contrary to what I just said, but a lot of times you pick up things vicariously from a good leader, and you learn how to lead that way. I think right now, if you're watching the news and paying attention to current events, we are seeing probably the best example of 21st century leadership coming out of Ukraine right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you agree with that? I, I mean, I, President Zelensky. Yeah, is, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And um, it's it's a thing to watch. It uh, He exhibits the characteristics of uh, not, not just the leader, but a servant leader. And that humility and that will um, is extremely vital uh, and can be learned in organizations around the world. He's certainly doing it un under duress. Uh, yeah, and when you're in a position of leadership, one of the things we like to talk about, you know, right now you're sitting in a classroom and the temperature is perfect. You got snacks over there and everything is going great. But at some point you're going to leave this classroom and as soon as you walk out this door, all heck is going to break loose. And that's when your leadership responsibilities are going to really come into play. Country comes under attack. He could, I think he set the tone for his leadership very early when he said, I need weapons, <laughs> yeah. I don't need a ride. Exactly. I mean. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that, was, was a, that was a quote of the century almost, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? I would. I think, I mean, I think it is. And, you know, and I don't want to make light of their situation. No. I'm certainly no. not in any way. I mean, it's life and death on every level and a commit, I mean, You don't necessarily have to have been in these role in leadership roles. I mean, he was a comedian, a television actor. Yeah. So he learned communication skills yeah. and how to do TV stuff that he's clearly using right now exactly. to lead. Exactly. To lead. And and it's in in one area. I mean, I again not to make light of what they're going through, um, but I see everything through a leadership and self awareness lens. Like everything. So when I'm watching him um, and others, I'm always looking at it from a standpoint of 
okay, who are their followers? Uh, obviously, they have some. Uh, is there some morality there? But then you have to ask the question, well, who's, who's basing it on whose morality? That has changed. Um, but I'm looking at things from the, the morality in which I was brought up with and what I've learned, and from a servant leadership standpoint, things that I learned from Mr. Bill Turner. Probably the definition of servant leadership in the Chattahoochee Valley in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Turner uh, passed away, I guess, five years ago, four five years ago. He, Something like that, yeah. He, Bill Turner uh, was the patriarch of the uh, Bradley Turner mm-hmm. empire, and I think both of us learned some lessons from Mr. Turner. <laughs> no, I did. That's, yeah. that's for certain. Well, I mean, uh, I well, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be talking about self-awareness. That was his whole thing. Self-awareness was the most important characteristic of a servant leader. The most important journalistic endeavor I've done. You asked earlier before we started talking about most, you know, interviews. Mm-hmm. The most important thing I've done, both, and this came in the tail end of my ledger career as a newspaper reporter. I had to write his obituary. Yeah, and, I remember that. I remember and that. And we did it well, and I mean, in the last month before he passed and it was done and ready. But that obituary was not just an obituary. It was the history of a half a century, yeah. a half a century of Columbus development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, you, you become aware of that. Okay. I want to switch in mm-hmm. to what you're doing now. Okay. Tell me what Emergenetics is. Emergenetics is a brain based personality assessment. And it's based on the latest neuroscience. And so it's used in corporations, educational institutions all across the world, not just in the country. And uh, Emergenetics was one of the first to use colors. It was founded by Dr. Gail Browning and Dr. Wendell Williams back in the mid-1980s. They went live in 1991. They profiled about 10,000 people. To date, it's probably nearing about 800,000 people who've been profiled with about 30% outside the United States and uh, it's a bu- it's a beautiful tool. I mean, it really, really is. And I, I first, I actually first took the Emergenetics profile. I think it was in '97. I was working at Sonovas. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it was that long ago. And then I remember taking it again in 2000. So it's it's been a minute, as the young people like to say. You're still pretty young. How old are you? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> But those of you in the Bay City area, my age group, by the fact that I'm talking about Eddie Adams, you know exactly how old I am. <laughs> True. You know, it, it's interesting because I took the Emergenetics profile yes, about did. two weeks ago. Yes, you and did. I'm of the era, I was a manager in a newsroom in the 1990s. Yeah. 1980s, late 80s, 90s, and into the early 2000s before I got smart and decided to go back to just writing and being responsible for myself. Um, Everybody of my generation had to take, was it Myers-Briggs? Yeah, yeah. Had to take the Myers-Briggs profile. So people listening to this may, I mean, they made everybody who thought they were a manager take Myers-Briggs. Okay, that's interesting. That's Uh, good to know. At least in the newspaper side. Mm -hmm. Um, It told me, you know, know, I I was fairly self-aware, had social had some social skills. That's pretty much what Myers-Briggs told yeah. me. It told me, it told me, I can't remember the rest of it, but it it was helpful mm-hmm. a little bit. But what's the difference in Myers-Briggs? And well, emerging? Myers-Briggs is based on uh, 16 temperaments. And with Emergenetics, there are 405 
uh, profile combinations. And so it's, to me, it's very in-depth. One of the things I love about Emergenetics, and, and this is, I say at the beginning of every workshop, if someone asks you to take a personality test or a psychometric instrument, one of the first questions you should always ask is, well, where's the technical report? Because if there's no technical report, then it may not be real. It may be junk. And so you can actually go out there in Emergenetics, and you can Google and, and look for the, the, uh, the technical report. And, it, and it's interesting, too, because when I became a master associate, I had to read that thing. I mean, I read it over and over. I read it for two months almost every day. I, d I don't think I read it on a Sunday or maybe sometimes on a Saturday as we got closer. And so it tells you all about the demographics, the makeup, how the test is scored, and what have you. And um, just as a side note, I always thought it was interesting because Dr. Wendell Williams, who is um, who's, you know, one of the brains behind the instrument, uh, he the test involved like I think three or four hours and it was comprehensive and it wasn't a yes or no that was he, to become an instructor that, that was becoming an associate I, yeah that was becoming an associate yeah and uh, and he when it was over he told Dr. Gail Browning says Kelvin did really really good he was very effusive and whatever and I had to I laughed because I knew he was very analytical well my father was very analytical. I grew up with that kind of personality. <laughs> Answering your questions the way you ask them did not scare me at all. <laughs> so you you like it? I mean, which brings you to what you did? Brings us to what you did with me? Yes, I am not analytical at all. You don't have a preference for analytical thinking. Okay, you prefer. That's what we like to say. You don't have a preference for it. So, in other words, if you had your druthers, you'd rather rather leave the data and all that kind of stuff alone, um, or or put it like this. You could do it, but you'd run out of energy. And if I spend a lot of time in a report that's numbers-based, mm -hmm. at the end of it, if it takes an hour, hour and a half to go through the yeah. data numbers, I was going through them uh, la uh, last week when Nexstar, or two weeks ago, when Nexstar did a, a poll. Okay. I was able to get through it. Yes. I was a, it was it was seventeen yes. questions, all sorts of data points. Yes. It was on a spreadsheet. <laughs> when when I was <laughs> when I was done, I was done. I was like, okay, yeah. I've got. I mean, I was writing down yeah. what I needed, but I was ornery for a little while. After that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you can. It's not about what you can or cannot do. It's about energy. It's about energy, the energy you put forth in that particular preference, which happens to be analytical. So I, I've always advised clients, if you're going to work in that area in, or that part of the, uh, the brain and you don't have a preference for it, you need to do it first thing in the morning. Because as the day goes on, you're not going to have energy for that. doesn't mean you can't do it. I'm not saying that. But from an energy standpoint, you'll be fresher in the morning. So the things we don't prefer zap us of, what, of, of our energy. Yes, exactly, exactly. Interesting. So when you look at what I took away from mine was I'm pretty social. I'm a social animal. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty high. I, so well, we don't want to get that social mixed up with that extroversion either. Okay. Now, now when I looked at yours, I, the first thing I thought, oh, that explains it. That I go back to the, you know, the conversations we've had in the past when you were, you know, interviewing me and what have you. I thought he has a very strong gut instinct. Like scientists have discovered, we have millions upon millions of, millions of neurons in our intestinal lining. Yeah. And uh, we've got this microbiome. So we've got two brains, one in our head and one in our stomach. And then you got the microbiome, which makes it, you know, it's all mm -hmm. our gut health and what have you. So when it comes to instincts, that, that visceral feeling you get, like when you're interviewing someone, I don't know, back in the day, maybe it was a murder trial or something, you're interviewing, you could tell if somebody's lying or not. 
like your gut's like, oh, that, I don't get a good, you know, or or if you're in front of somebody, you say, oh, I don't get a good feeling about this person. And so <laughs> when I first saw, it, I said, oh, that speaks volumes. So, you know, that gut, I and you know, it's funny because that goes with my lack of a preference. We'll use your words, not yes. mine, of analytics yes. to more. You know, when I'm interviewing politicians, mm-hmm. whether it could be a governor yeah. or somebody who's running for a city council seat, yes. I'm going to go in with a question list. Yes. But it's going to get wadded up pretty quick yeah. when I see where the interview's going. Yes, yes. Yeah, because you can pick up on things. Your, your gut, I mean, you have a strong, your gut has allowed you in your lifetime to, well, I, I'm going to assume that you've always been this way. I can't, I, yeah. I mean, that, that might not be a good thing to do, but your gut has allowed you to navigate through and around a lot of situations. You know, the first time I really became aware of that, I was working in a startup newspaper in Dothan, Alabama called Wiregrass Today. Okay. It published for 56 weeks. I started as the assistant sports editor. Uh, about week 35, I was the managing editor running the news operation, and it was going bad. I left and went to the Montgomery Advertiser two weeks before it went under. Oh, so you felt it. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a straight up gut yeah. decision. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was yeah. like, okay, this ain't going to go much longer. Yeah. You just got this job offer. You know, I probably yeah. wouldn't have taken it otherwise, but I said, you know, this may be a good time to yeah. take that job. See people with your profile, like you've got a, you know, in emergenetics, we use colors, blue, green, red, and yellow and red yeah. is social. And so the, the socials, you know, they're imp, they're empathic, um, but they're constantly watching people. Like right now, you're looking at me and you're looking at, you know, my eye contact, the body language, and all this kind of stuff. Now you got a reference point. So the next time I see you, you're going to be looking at me. And if, if I have the hint of a frown on my face or anything, you're probably going to think, hmm, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, that kind of thing. So. You know, it was interesting because the other thing that showed up in this and you brought it out was I'm territorial. <laughs> well. <laughs> and they, that was the way you put it, and in, in I think I'm oversimplifying it. Maybe. Well, I, you may be looking at the assertiveness, and that is people, and you're what we call a third, third or assertive. You're controlling, you're direct. You want to control the results. So I would imagine that, particularly in your previous career, well, even now, I'm sorry, yeah. even now, like you're going to push, push, push until you get the answers that you want. I can be a pain in the butt. <laughs> is that, is, I mean, you know, but it explains some things. It explains some difficulties I've had. Yeah. Some, it may, you know, it's like, okay, I can live with that. I can yeah. figure out how to, 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 to play through that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and I don't know. Okay, I want to take what, I've learned now by being profiled in Emergenetics and flip it to you in athletics yes. right now. That's yes. where I think yes. you have done this for what, 15 years? Uh, 2006. So, yeah. Well, that's when I, I've been, uh, since I've been an associate. The first time I took the actual test was, uh, or the, the survey was in 1997. So, you've been teaching this throughout Alabama and Georgia mostly, across but the country. across the country. Mm-hmm. You've been teaching it in business and educational yes. settings. A few governments, yeah. So, you've been teaching it in those settings and, and going in and allowing companies, leaders, uh, universities mm-hmm. to better understand them. 
you now have found that you're branching out into the athletic side. Yes. And I'm sure that goes back. That's why we talked about your dad for yes. a while. Mm-hmm. That goes back to you know, looking at leadership, looking at personality, mm-hmm. and how it impacts athletics. Mm-hmm. You've told me a story of Central High football mm-hmm. and Jamie <laughs> and Jamie Dubose, yes. coach there with the Lounge. I think he's come back to Alabama in yes. the last few weeks. Jamie Dubose was a very, very good high school football coach. Yes. Won state championships, barely lost state championships. Yes. You saw something yeah. that on the sideline that you spoke up about. Yeah. And, and, well, go there. I try to tell this story as quickly as I possibly can. Okay, so I present my my dream of dreams for a long time was to present Emergenetics to a football coaching staff, and I got an opportunity to do that with Jamie's staff. I think it was in 2016. It was in was that the year they won it or the year? Before? No, this was a couple of years before. Okay, uh, maybe so Alab- 15 or 16, and and it was in. I, I remember the date. It was like March 15th. And I'll never forget this. So we present the workshop, and Jamie knows I tell this story. He doesn't have a problem with it. Jamie's very social, just like you. He has a strong gut instinct. His instincts, like, tell him a great deal. And so um, they're playing um, – uh, they're down in Mobile, Central is. They're, they're playing Mobile. Central's ranked number two. Um, McGill Tulin's ranked number one. And Central had been on a roll. I think we lost the first game to uh, we. Yeah, we lost the first but game. But you're Central. Uh, yeah, we you lost the first game to Hoover, and then we were on a roll. So we're down in Mobile, and we get off to a bad start. It's 21 to 14. It's like, oh, my gosh. And then we come back. It's 21 to 14. No, and then, it was 21 nothing. Then it was 21 well, I, Okay, I'm sorry. I thought it was 21 to 7. Okay. And so uh, it, eventually we tie the score. It's 21-24, 21-21. We're on a roll. And uh, we kick off, and McGill takes the ball, and they get near midfield, and they throw an interception. And we got the ball. It's tied. Okay, the Red Devil machine, we're getting ready to roll. So here's the deal. So at that point, um, after the game, a friend of mine who's a good friend with uh, good friends with Jamie, he told me, he said, uh, Jamie said last night after the game, after we got the turnover, because we eventually we lost the game 35-21. He said after the game, he said, when we, once we got that turnover at midfield, I should have gone deep to Justin Ross, thrown a deep pass to Justin Ross. And, uh, and, and when he said that, I immediately thought, wait a minute, why didn't he? He's, he's got a strong gut. If his gut told him to do it, why didn't he do it? Well, come to find out, uh, I called Jamie a couple of weeks ago. You know, after a season, coaches go into this little mini depression, you know. Yeah. And so I waited a couple of weeks, and I called Jamie, and we had a conversation. I said, tell me something. I said, I was told that you said you should have gone deep to Justin Ross, but you didn't do it. I said, Justin what? Ross will be drafted. He will be drafted. Yes, yes. And Phoenix City product. He, you yeah. know. So I asked him, I said, why didn't you do it? He said, well, I had guys in my ear. I had some guys on the right side. They're t- I mean, they're, in this year they're telling me to run the football, give the defense a break. Got guys on this end saying we should go so, deep. So for folks that don't know what a, a high school football sideline looks like, coaches got on Chaos. <laughs> Chaos. But he has got – Probably as many as eight voices coming yeah. into his head, either through these right. or through people around him. Right. So he's he's saying so he decides to run the football, give the defensive break. I think we go three and out. We punt the ball. Next thing you know, they the momentum swings. They score before you know it, the game is over. And so I went and looked at Jamie's profile and explained it. It explained a lot. Jamie's what we call a second, third assertive. Now uh, everybody's there are three behaviors. Expressive, assertive, and flexibility. Everybody's all three. But the energy you put um, forth in each one of them determines a lot and how you 
um, process work and what have you. So Jamie's in the second third assertive, meaning he can fall in between being peacekeeping or he can be controlling and directing. But when you're in the middle, we say that that means you're in the it depends group. It depends on the people you're with or the situation you're in. And so I deduce that at that point, most of the people in his ear were the ones who had the influence and the assertiveness to say, Jamie, we need to run the football. So he ran the football. So they talked him out of his gut instinct. They talked him out of his gut instinct. And so we lost the game. So the next year, we're playing McGill Tour. Score tied 21-21, late fourth quarter. We've got the ball. It looks like we're about to, you know, finally break this 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 thing and 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 go to the state championship. This is about less than right about three minutes to go. We're running out the clock. We're trying to pick up first downs, get closer for a touchdown or a field goal. Maybe less than two minutes to go, Jamie calls timeout. And he walks over to the offensive huddle. And Ryan Nelson, offensive coordinator, he's in the middle. But, you know, we know Jamie was calling a lot of plays. Jamie walks over behind the offensive huddle. And whatever was said, I don't know. But Jamie takes his play sheet and his other hand, he does like this. He just slams him down to his to his leg, his thighs. And I, and I looked at my wife. I said, uh-oh. She says, what's wrong? I said, this may not turn out very well. I said, what do you mean? I said, something was just done or said that didn't feel right to Jamie. Well, next thing you know, we go, we try a field goal, and we miss the field goal. Game goes in overtime. McGill Tulin wins. All right. Fast forward to the next year. McGill Tulin again. We're getting ready to play McGill Tulin. So I call over, and I said, I want to meet with your staff. And Jamie says, okay. He gives me uh, from 3 to 3.30 on Sunday afternoon. We just won the first game. We're getting ready to play McGill Tulin. And I go in and I talk to the coaches. I said, listen, I gave him a little primer. I said, remember, this is what Emergenetics is. These are the colors, blue, green, red, and yellow. Here are the behaviors. And then I explain, like I do in all my workshops, I explain the leader's profile. Like you got to understand how your leader, leader likes to think and behave. Because if you understand how your leader likes to think and behave, then you're probably going to get A's on your assignment because you, like, you, know, you know how he or she likes to work. And so I told him, I said, listen, first of all, Jamie has a strong gut instinct, but he's also in the second, third of assertiveness. I said, if he gets a strong gut instinct about something, don't talk him out of it. Don't talk him out of it. Well, fast forward again, Friday night after the game, I think we win 14 to nothing, game's over. I walk down onto the field, and to a T, several coaches says, Kelvin, we let him go with his gut. Kelvin, we let him go with his gut. Now, I'm not saying I'm the reason they won that game, but I would like to say there was an element of self-awareness that was elevated for that particular game that was that was missing the previous couple of years. So you saw Emergenetics in action and how it can benefit athletic teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know there's some type of personality test that Coach Saban and the University of Alabama yes, used, right? Yes, yes. And, and if you want to go back and look at the, I don't know, 2015, 16 – uh, Vanderbilt, Alabama game. Bama's up 49, uh, 59 to nothing, and uh, there's a they talk about it. And here's what I find really interesting and, I, and something I really try to hammer home to a lot of my prospective clients, and that is, don't you find it interesting that of all the team-building activities that Nick Saban and the University of Alabama could use, that he decides to use a personality test? Think about that. And again, you know, I hope it was Emergenetics, but regardless of what it was, isn't it interesting that he uses a personality test? But that's leaving no stone unturned. That's a guy that 
does everything. But it obviously is data. It gives him data and information he he feels like he needs. But it's a self aware it's self awareness information. And that tells me the level of self-awareness. Like when somebody tells me they're self-aware, I said, well, you're on the journey towards self-awareness because you never arrive. You're always in a state of becoming. So it tells me that he's on that journey towards self-awareness, number one. And number two, it tells me, it's like, wow. So when Dr. Tasha Urich, who's done a lot of studies on self-awareness, is only 10 to 15% of society is self-aware. That explains a lot why he's been dominating college football. Because we've got a shortage of great in that arena. In sports, we have a shortage of great. You can name a lot of good coaches. You can name a lot of average coaches. But, you but know, there's you very few you can say who are great. The ones that have dominated to the level of dynasty. Yes. You know, Saban, Belichick. Coach K. Coach K. Yeah. John you know, Wooden. Well, I was going to say Coach Wooden. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know. On a baseball side, maybe a, somebody like a Joe Torre. Bobby something. Howard here in Columbus. Bobby Howard. I mean, I would love to see Bobby's merchandise profile. I would, too. I would, too. I, th- I mean, it, I would suspect analytics and guts are both in there. I had a long conversation with him. Uh, I think it was early last year. Long conversation. If you are in his vicinity and you don't take the time to learn from him, that's on you. <laughs> well, you know – I knew he was a different kind of cat when I saw him win a state championship when he stole home. Oh, I think I remember watching that on the news. You know, my father was a huge baseball fan. That was, was his he? first love. He loved Bobby Howard. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember that. You know, when you look at, you know, but you talk about Saban, and we, uh-huh. we're talking about folks that are very controlling coaches. Well, but, yeah, to a degree, maybe. But they understand people. I would say on the other end of that spectrum, I would put Bruce Pearl. Yes. I think I think Bruce, I've never done a profile on Bruce. I think Bruce has a strong gut instinct, and I think he uses it. I really, really believe that. Um, probably more so than a lot of basketball coaches uh, in the country. I mean, I, Nate Odoms doesn't use a gut instinct. He's strictly well, an analytical he, he, guy at Alabama. He's strictly analytics, and the only question I would have about him, I mean, and look, he's made it plain. You know, he, he taught math in high school. Um, he, he's, a, uh, he, he's a mathematician. Analytics are very important uh, to him. Um, the only thing I would ask is, can you reach your players on a deeply emotional level? And I would ask that of any coach. Is basketball a more emotional sport than football? I can't say that. I can't say that. I've been around both since I was very, very little. And I will say this, though. Basketball teams have to get over losses and wins a lot quicker than, than, than football. you got to put them behind you because you could get beat by 20 points on Tuesday night and have another game Thursday. You don't have time to. And baseball is get over it quicker than that. And baseball is quicker than that. I I can't really say that. I, I don't think so. I think they they may be neck and neck when it, when it comes to uh, emotions. Okay. You set a goal this year mm-hmm. of moving your emergenetics consulting business into the athletic side. Are you doing that now? Are you looking and, and in what ways? Uh, more intentional. I've done it in the past. 
um, in the past, I've worked with uh, high schools, I've worked with community colleges, but never at the Division One Power Five level. And that's and I'm intentional. And I do have one coming up on June 13th. And I told you before this this broadcast, you sure you don't want to wait till after June 13th? Um, we were supposed to do it a couple of weeks ago, but they wanted to wait until after spring football practice. And so that one, I think, is going to tell me a lot about how it's received um, at that particular level. When you make the pitch to a college football coach, you may only get five minutes and you may get somebody. <laughs> if yeah. that. I mean, yeah. you're making pitches to people that are – they're, maybe they're administrative leader or whatever. Yeah. What's your pitch when you try to get a college football or basketball coach to say, hey, let's do this not only with staff, but maybe let's do it with our team too? Well, I'm still working on that pitch because typically I've, I've gone through the athletic director first. That's, that's typically what I've done. But in the past, it's interesting though, I have become more intentional. In the past three to four weeks alone, I've been in their presence a lot more. And one of the things I always point out to them, I, and, and, and that's what I just said a few minutes ago, I said, if Nick Saban can use a personality test and does it according to that broadcast every year, shouldn't that tell you something? Okay? Should, shouldn't that tell you something that if he's using, because it's deeper than just the X's and O's, and that's the same thing I, I talk to the people in the business world about. Like, I want you to think big picture like a CEO instead of being like this, you know, no disrespect, but the day-to-day manager of the, of the office. I, I need for you to think big picture. And that requires your focus on people and understanding how they're wired to think and behave the way that they do. And college athletics, a, fo- a head football coach is a CEO. Yes, he is. He is. Or she. Oh, yeah, football coach, yes. Yeah. Basketball, the, women, the, the ladies are, are CEOs. Yeah, I mean, Pat yeah. Pat Summit was Pat Summit, yes. Don Staley, yeah, they're, they're CEOs. Yeah, Don Staley. I'd love to see Don Staley, oh. man. What an idiot. Well, obviously, I think she's very assertive. Right? There's, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> and, and she's a champion. Yes, yeah, she um, is. Two times. When In South Carolina, which ain't an easy thing to do. No, it's not. Um, She's done it where she has to recruit against – I mean, there's so few women's teams that are of the level that – yeah. But speaking of that, I can tell you how it, it could help with the student-athletes as well, or, or any students. Because for 10 years straight, I presented this workshop to the incoming servant leadership students at Columbus State University. I would do it every late February, early March. Um, my son of choice – that's my stepson, but we, you know, I yeah. call him my yeah. son of choice – He's um, he played soccer at the University of South Carolina, and so his first year, you know, he gets goes off on his own and his grades plummet a little bit, and and so I asked him uh, last last Christmas, I I said I want to do something for you. And he's like, what? Well, this is Christmas before last. I want to do something for you. This is what I said. I want to run a Merginetics profile on you. He said, okay. It was it was my Christmas gift to him. And I found out, just like you, he's very social. I mean, he and I knew that. I just need the science to prove it. He's very social. I mean, he loves being around people. He's energized by being, he's, he's expressive. He's, you know, that's extroversion. He loves being around people. And I told him, I said, listen, when it comes to studying, you need to surround yourself with a study group. Because when you study by yourself, your mind probably wanders. You probably get sidetracked or what have you. It'll probably happen in the study group too, but you'll probably all, you know, bring it back in. And he did that. And I kid you not, his grades grades improved. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
I would. I don't like to use dramatically, but they really did improve. Noticeable. Yeah, because he. I said you, you're not going to do well studying alone. You need to be with people. So if we do this a year from now, I mean, yes. and you know, do you think you will have some of these power fives, major colleges working? You'll be working with some of those guys. I am quite positive that I will be. <laughs> is it more fun to work with athletics than it is business side? And that's probably not a fair well, that that's not a fair question. Okay, first of all, I love the instrument. I could present it anywhere. But I will I will say this. I was telling a friend of mine this uh about a week or two ago. I said, the idea of presenting this to a football coaching staff or even a basketball staff, it has taken me to a whole nother level of of energy. Like I really enjoy it. The one that I have scheduled on June 13th that was previously scheduled uh, April 5th, I believe. You're not going to name this I'm one. I'm not going to name this one. Um, but it was interesting looking at the reports and everything, and I'm trying to I go to YouTube to look at the head coach and see if it matched and lined up with the uh, the profile. It's just been like – and then I've, uh, unlike the, uh, the the regular the, – when I do it with business or just you know educational institutions in general – this one I will use a couple of video clips to illustrate other coaches um, in various sports and what I think their profile looks like. So, yeah, it's been, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're an Auburn season ticket holder when yeah. it comes to basketball and football, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you love watching that. You understand athletics yes. in, in a very, very – deep and meaningful way mm -hmm. you know and i guess business you have winners and losers in business politics mm -hmm. everything i mean there's you know profit mm -hmm. you know there's profit sheets but the thing about athletics is you can look at the you can look at it the scoreboard pretty much when it's over yeah i mean you know uh in the business world the quarterlies don't come out till you know every three months or so right you don't get them to like the fourth month but you know, in two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, you know whether your team won and you know whether they played good or bad in basketball. In football, after about, what, three and a half hours, you know, wow, they looked great. Or, you know, the whole fan base is like, let's let's get rid of the coach, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I think you just described Auburn in a, well, in a nutshell. I love my Tigers. We're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're optimistic. I'm uh, very optimistic. Um Anything else you want to say about Emergenetics or about, you know, what the – I mean, and this has almost come across as an ad, and it's not certainly what no. it was intended, but I mean, it, it's I'm, about I'm, fa I'm yeah. fascinated about the self-awareness awareness aspect. And, and let's not forget that. I use Emergenetics as a tool, okay? It's a tool um, to, to help you become more self-aware. It's, it's, it's to put you on that journey. But let's not forget the importance of self-awareness. And I define there are two ways, there are two types of self-awareness. Internal, understanding who you are, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, utilizing your strengths to overcome your weaknesses, but at a far deeper level, like what is your reason for being? Like why are you here? Why do you get up out of bed every morning? That's internal self-awareness. But you also have external self-awareness. In other words, how do other people see you? And so in the Emergenetics Workshop, I, whether you're the CEO, the HR manager, whomever, the, the head football coach, I put your profile with their permission on the screen and I say, look at his or her profile. If you understand this, then you won't take a lot of things that they say or do personally. 
And that's extremely important. Incredibly important. It's you know, vital. We, we live in a society where now everybody's so overly sensitive. I mean, I, mean so. I, snapped, I snapped at my boss this morning. <laughs> and you're still here. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we are. We are overly sensitive. Yeah, we, we've become very sensitive. I, mean, I just I think COVID has helped that. A yeah, bit. it's probably boosted a little bit, yeah. But, you know, in my world right now, I'm dealing with politics yes. and politicians. I am. Yes. Got the governor's <laughs> here today. Um, we'll be doing debates. We'll be doing a debate on the mayor's race. I'm dealing with politicians mm-hmm. from the local to the state level. Mm-hmm. After taking the emergenetics test, mm-hmm. I think every politician should have to take one <laughs> and should have to put the profile on their website. I mean, I'm dealing a lot with politics. Yes. When you look at politics right now, I think every politician, after having taken the emergenetics test, every politician should be required to take it and put it on their website. I think you would have a better understanding of a John Ossoff or a David Perdue, of a Stacey Abrams or a Brian Kemp. Well, I, I, I will say this, though. I have a friend of mine who's in politics, and I asked him this question about a month or so ago. And I said, let me ask you this. Do you think most of the politicians that you see are third, third assertive? And he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, I'm not surprised, but he goes, yes. <laughs> and that's part of what they do. Well, we're getting toward the end of this, and I'm going to do what I do with everybody. And this yes. ought to be interesting. You know more about me than most of my guests because you have looked at my emergenetics profile yes. and studied it. Uh, you, I'm going to turn the tables. You get to ask me a question. Well, I, I go back to, okay, who is the, and I asked this beforehand, but I'll ask from an athletic standpoint, what's the most interesting interview you've ever had? No, that's fascinating. Athletics. What was okay? What was it like interviewing Hank Aaron? He was sitting in a golf cart. He had about three minutes, and it was quick. And you what asked your questions. There was an AJC reporter around. Um, what I remember about that interview more than anything is we were, Bobby Cox was not the, yet the manager. He was still the general manager. So it's been ninety two, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Cox was talking to. Hank Aaron, and they were off on a side field at spring training. And uh, and Cox said, hey, i gotta, I'm got to leave. i got to get out of here. I'm going to make one more trip up to Jacksonville to look at the Jones kid. As in Chipper? As in Chipper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in that one conversation, Hank Aaron, Bobby Cox, and Chipper Jones, oh, in one goodness. conversation in the spring of 92. And, you know, sure enough, I think – Bobby liked what he saw with that Jones kid. Oh, that's funny. That's but, funny. But, you know, I love interviewing high school. I always like interviewing high school athletics. And, you know, kids in high school athletes, I mean, probably the one of the most interesting ones I ever interviewed was uh, Montgomery advertiser Andre Bruce. I remember Andre Bruce well. I remember when Bruce came, they were the defending state champions, and they came to Phoenix City when I was a Carver, junior. And Carver they, High School. They beat us on a last-second shot. And he signed a basketball scholarship to play for UT Chattanooga. His mom refused to sign it. Did she really? And he was 17, so it wasn't valid. He turns around and later signs a football scholarship with Auburn. I did not know that. 
And that's how he ended up at Auburn, or he would have been – it's not like today where you can transfer immediately. I mean, he he would have been wow. locked into you. He he was a very good basketball player. I I know we we played against him all the way from uh, yeah. middle school all the way up to senior in high school. And he probably ended up being the worst number one pick by the Falcons in the history of the NFL draft. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, hey, Kelvin, this has been outstanding. Thank you. Uh, I'm now at the point where I've got to drive this thing home. Okay. You can watch the Chuck Williams Show Tuesday night, 7 to 8, on WRBL.com. You can get me on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart for the podcast if you want to do it without pictures. Um, and then on social media. Obviously, I'm on Twitter at Chuck Williams. I'm on Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And then I'm on Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Dylan, I got the car out without hitting the... I always crash the car on that, so I didn't crash the car this time. Um, we've been learning. Today's been an interesting show. It's been with Kelvin Red. Kelvin is a consultant, uh, a leadership coach here based in Columbus, Georgia, and he deals on a platform called Emergenetics, and we learned a little bit about Kelvin, a little bit about me, and I think how this stuff plays into athletics. Kelvin, thanks for being here, man. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you for having me. Well, hope you come back next week for another episode of The Chuck Williams Show.